a production of Word South, a content marketing company. Story Connect, the podcast, helping communicators discover ideas to shape their stories and connect with their customers. What are the latest trends in rural video and broadband? That's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Story Connect, the podcast. My name is Andy Johns, your host uh, with WordSouth. And once again, I am joined by Scott Meyer, who is Director of Marketing for Innovative Systems. Scott, thanks for joining me. Yes, happy to be with you. Now, Scott has been on before. You guys probably remember him. Um, He's one of our frequent flyers on uh, Story Connect podcast. But the reports that um, he has helped uh, develop and the the information he shared with us from those reports are always some of the most listened to uh, episodes when we go back and look at the year. So I wanted to be sure to have Scott on again. Um, Looking forward to getting into the uh, report with you here in just a minute, Scott. Okay. Uh, I did want to say before we get into it too much, just a teaser for our listeners out there that um, I am really excited about our series that we are doing on the customer journey. Carrie Huckabee is leading those. Those episodes will start coming out in May. So you'll want to be sure to tune into those. Um, she's got some of the um, big thinkers and um, some great ideas, great minds from around the rural uh, broadband space. Uh, where she'll be talking with them about customer experience. It's a six-part uh, series, and they just really cover a lot of good ground um, to help you really think through the entire customer journey um, as your uh, that your customers and members are looking at as they sign up to do business with your company. So I'm really excited about that series coming up. I'm sure you'll want to tune in. It'll be on this same feed as Story Connect Podcast. So as you are uh, listening here, they'll just start showing up for you in May. So, Scott, um, thanks for sitting through the uh, little mini commercial there. Um, But let's get into the report. So what you've got to share with us today is the annual rural video and broadband industry study that you guys are doing. Tell us a little bit about the study. Okay, very good. Well, we've been doing this actually for this will be our sixth year that we've done this. And we've always felt that there's a lot of data out there from urban America as far as behaviors with video and broadband. But really there had been a void until we started six years ago with what the rural American consumer is doing with their video watching, their viewing and how they use their internet. So we started that, uh, you know, back in, I think it was 2016. And we have continued up to this point and we've been able to really gather some uh, excellent information that you know our purpose is to provide this information to our loyal customers and even people who aren't our customers so that they can look at this and maybe use it to make some strategic decisions on the types of video they may offer a traditional IPTV cable streaming or different things they can do with their broadband expansion into more agricultural type deliveries of broadband as well as doing a better job at managing the in-home experience. And and it's really been a, a very well-received report. Excellent. Well, I know, Scott, this is one, uh, the results of this study is always something that folks have, have been looking forward to the last, like you said, five or six years or so. So what were some of your top line takeaways? You know, when we're looking at uh, the study as a whole, I'm sure there's a lot uh, that we could dive into, but 
you know, if somebody asks you uh, passing in the hallway at a conference that one day we'll be able to go to again, uh, what, what would be, uh, you know, your your top couple of takeaways that you would tell them that you uh, you had taken away from this uh, study? Well, I think maybe, Andy, I'd like to break this down into video and then just a takeaway or two from broadband. Sure. Uh, one of the interesting uh, takeaways uh, from the video portion was that 49% of rural Americans today, almost half, are using some type of streaming service. But when we asked the question, how are you receiving TV service? We allowed them multiple responses. So out of those 49% who were streaming, 22% of them also had other ways of getting TV. And when you add it all up, 65% of rural Americans are still, in addition to subscribing to streaming, 65% of rural Americans are also subscribing to some type of traditional IPTV, cable, or satellite video. So we found that to be a real interesting takeaway. Uh, the second interesting takeaway from uh, the video portion was when we asked demographically uh, their satisfaction, and, and we use a one to 10 scale, uh, one meaning completely dissatisfied, 10 meaning completely satisfied. On that one to 10 scale, the highest satisfaction rate came from those who have streaming service and a complimentary IPTV cable or satellite service. So, you know, if we take that and, and just kind of make some assumptions, uh, we believe that a subs uh, customer like who you guys serve as, as your marketing arm or who we serve as a you know, telecommunications vendor, uh, we think that if you're going to get into video and stay in video, the best chance that you have of being successful is to give your customers a choice that best fits their lifestyle if you're in a position to do so. And as far as the broadband, just to kind of summarize some of the uh, you know, things that really surprised us in the broadband was um, we found that 85% of the people who have a local cable, which could be a local IPTV company or a cable company, 85% of those people use that same company for their internet. Interesting. Service. That's a key so, point. Yes. Very interesting. Yes, and, and one of the things that, you know, really the takeaway from that is that there's a trend, there's a movement, there's a lot of discussion about companies just exiting video altogether. And, and there's valid reasons for exiting video. I mean, content costs, uh, you know, ever-changing technology, not knowing, you know, from one month to the next, uh, you know, what new streaming service is going to come online. But the risk that a local video operator that has broadband as well runs by getting out of video uh, runs the gamut right now, not only of uh, you know regular competitors, other cable companies and, and satellite, but now we have low orbit satellite. We have the Elon Musk project. And, and when we see that, if they don't have something to keep them attached with, like a video play would do in a bundle, 
then they run the risk of just totally losing that business altogether. And it's quite likely that they would lose that business altogether. So uh, that's, that's one of the internet takeaways. Uh, a couple of other things that I think were, again, a takeaway that's nothing new. We've done this before, but let's this go is back, a, Scott. This is if we can, because I think that's a really big point um, and something that both the telcos that we work with and the electric co-ops who are getting into broadband. You know, that's a question we hear a lot about folks, whether or not to do TV. So to restate that fact again, to make sure we get it right. You said 85. Well, I don't I don't want to repeat it wrong. So do you mind repeating that one again? 85 percent. Sure. Well, yeah. For, and the, I'll, let me frame the question up. This was the question that was asked for Internet. Do you use the same company that you would use for TV service? We had 803 respondents and the percentage indicating that they did use the same 85 percent were local cable, 77 percent national cable uh, 31% satellite dish, which is not overly surprising, but an overall percentage, 48% use the same company that they use for their TV service. Okay. All right. So what that, what that says is a pretty significant, um, number of folks there. If they, they just, for whatever reason, whether it's ease of use or billing or whatever, it, it seems like are preferring to, um, to stick with the the same provider for both video and um, and internet, so that's interesting. And and that percentage number was what again? Eighty five percent for local cable providers. Okay, all right, very interesting. Okay, well, uh, sorry to get a sidetrack there, but I did want, did want to restate that and um, make sure because I think that's one that um, uh, that's that's some news um that'll be news to a lot of folks so that, that's interesting but uh, go ahead sure yes and and given the fact that we had over 800 respondents that really does lend to a high degree of accuracy the the other really interesting takeaway uh from the internet perspective and and we've asked this question over the years but we did see and i this could be a pandemic driven uh response to but we had we asked the question that how interested would you be in a free trial of faster Internet for one month to see how it impacts your online experience? And another uh, we had a very high rate of responses for this as well. Seven hundred and thirty eight. And overall, thirty six percent over a third said that they would like a taste test of their provider's fastest Internet. And why is this important? It's important because when that free trial ends, there absolutely, Andy, will be a percentage of those people that will pay that service provider extra monthly mo monthly dollars to keep that faster Internet. And that's that's a big deal. That's increased annual revenue that could be significant for most companies. Absolutely. So that's... Um... That's big, and this is a little bit tougher to do in a in a podcast where we're not able to show folks the those numbers up there. But uh, so if if thirty six percent of the folks answered that question that yes they would like to try uh, a one month trial of the top speed, and folks out there who have have done this before probably know what take rate they usually get um, when they give people a sample like that. The example I use, and forgive me, Scott, if you've heard me use this one again, was building Lincoln. Way um, when they were building it from coast to coast in the United States, they didn't have the money to build the whole thing. 
So what they did, and it was used with, you know, Rockefeller money and Carnegie money and all that, um, you know, the, the usual suspects there with uh, projects in the early um, 1900s. But when they're building it, they went ahead and built sections of it instead of just building, okay, we can only build, you know, 500 miles from Washington, D.C. out to, you know, wherever, Illinois. Um, they were trying to go all over San Francisco. So what they did is they paved with the new nice um, roads a couple of miles between a lot of big cities. And so when the folks from those cities would travel, they would get that sample of the new nice um, smooth roads and all of a sudden they started demanding more of it from their cities. And that's how they got the whole highway funded from one side of the country to the other. And that's a long way of getting back to the idea that, uh, you know, we've seen over and over again with folks that we work with, giving people a taste of what the Internet could be like with, you know, the higher speeds they have available. That's how you get people a lot of the time to really realize what they're missing out on and how good their experience could be. So sorry for the history lesson there, but I think it's uh, I think it's applicable. It is very applicable, Andy. And, and, you know, the thing of it is, if if I personally was in a position of management at a service provider, if not annual, it would be a biannual promotion that I would run because We've seen this time and again, and I've actually presented this over the years at various conferences, and I've, I've done a raise your hand if you've done this promotion. And I, it's surprising. I get a very handful, not very many. And then when I ask the follow-up question to those that raise their hand, did this increase your annual uh, revenue? And every single one of them said yes, that it did. Absolutely. Well, Let's get into a few of the other things. I know one of the things this uh, study always looks at is um, the number of folks who are, um, you know, when we're talking about uh, non-streamers, uh, which continues, you know, somebody, many of us have been using things like Netflix for, um, I don't know, seems like uh, years now, but uh, there are other folks, and I think you had mentioned the study found there's still a lot of folks that have not jumped into the world of streaming entertainment yet. Yeah. And, you know, and surprisingly, we everyone when we ask the question, what does uh, which de best describes how you receive service in your home? We had 807 respondents. So everybody responded. And the breakdown was 26 percent streamers. That's they don't have any other service. Twenty two percent of the streamers had TV service like like we mentioned, cable, IPTV, satellite. But then 43% of rural America have no streaming service whatsoever. Say that number again. So that's, I'm sorry? Say that number again. You said 43? 43% wow. of rural Americans do not have any type of streaming service whatsoever. And... I think it just proves the point that we believed all along. It's not that rural America isn't streaming because the data shows that they are. It's just they're not heading that direction in as fast of a rate as people in more urban areas, which, again, I think there's a lot of this that is affected by demographics as well. The older Americans, you know, they're starting to stream. And it's, it's kind of like the comparison back when, you know, you know, in the early days of, of cell phones 
and smartphones and and now you know i mean you can go to any senior citizen center and you can see an elderly person uh, banging away on their smartphone sure. it's i mean they're going to get there but it's just not going to happen at as fast of a rate as maybe in other areas sure and this may be out of the scope of this study but were there any conclusions drawn there is it is it an access issue is it a just interest issue. Um, did the study get into anything about why folks might not have tried streaming at this point? Because I feel like I feel like the information or the knowledge, you know, the streaming companies have have put a whole lot of money into making sure that everybody is aware of it. Um, so, were there any conclusions drawn or anything in this study to, to look at why? Well, I, I think we can actually draw a fair conclusion from this. And I personally, because, you know, Innovative Systems, we have, uh, you know, we have 800 customers, a, a large market share. And it's customers by customers, I mean, service providers, different, sure. you know, privately owned communication companies, tel uh, telecommunications co-ops. So I get a chance to go to conferences or, or even now virtually speak to a lot of our service provider customers. And they're telling us that that 43% of non-streamers that have a traditional service that's what they want. They just, they're not ready yet for an app-based product, which requires them to possibly change the input on their, on their television, which requires them to, you know, manipulate apps, which is a different environment that they're not sure. used to. Sure. And it's more a matter of choice than having, you know, not having the access to it. Okay. Yeah. For folks that have been flipping that channel for, um, you know, in the similar way for decades, it is a pretty big switch to ask them to access a different app for every different program they want to watch or that kind of thing. So I can right. understand that. Sounds like there's still some work to be done on the marketing communications front because what we've seen is that streaming is one of the top reasons why people are willing to upgrade to those higher speed packages um, in addition to work from home and, um, you know, school from home and those sorts of things. So getting folks to, to utilize and, and a higher rate of people using the streaming services would seem like a good way to get people to upgrade to those higher speeds. Uh, like everything else, Scott, um, you know, there was there's really no corner of anything in seems like modern society where the pandemic um, from 2020 um, and still going here in 2021, didn't play some part of a role or, or influence some stats. So would you say, or what are some ways that you can look at this study and say that you think um, you know, COVID uh, and the, the, all of the ripple effects and everything there of, of, of stay-at-home orders and all that, what did that say or where can you see that influence on the results of this study? Well, that was one thing that we did is we did ask a subset of questions relating to the pandemic, not only in the video behaviors of rural America, but also in their broadband behaviors. And I'd like to start with the video. And if you want to comment after that, we can move to the broadband. That's up to you if you feel we should, sure. should dive deeper. But uh, what we found, and here's how the question was framed. Uh, how has the pandemic affected your TV and video watching? And we had almost everybody from the study, the 800 and some, we had 778 respondents and 30%, a third said that the pandemic 
cause them to watch a lot more. Hmm. 29% said the pandemic caused them to watch a little more. And only 37% said it had not changed their viewing behaviors at all. Interesting. That's kind of a higher number than I would think, because I had just assumed everybody was watching <laughs> was watching more TV at this point. Maybe that maybe that says too much about what, what we've been doing during the pandemic, but um, that's interesting. Yeah, well, fifty nine percent because of the pandemic watched more television, and sure. and you know we have another uh, study that we do, which we're not going to talk about in this podcast, and hopefully we'll talk about that maybe later this summer. Uh, our we have a channel stats report. And we we received data from over 75,000 set-top boxes across rural America, and that did coincide as far as viewing time spent with this uh, with this particular uh, data set in our study. Okay, got it. And moving moving over to the broadband, as far as pandemic related, um, one of the things that really did surprise me. The question, again, most respond, well, there's two things. Let's start with the work from home, uh, which really kind of relates to broadband because really for most people, the work from home, we need a, need a decent broadband connection. Absolutely. But again, we had the majority of our of our 800 and some, uh, 726 responded when asked the question, does someone in your household work from home who did not prior to the pandemic? In the And we broke this down by demographics. 48% of the 18 to 24 year olds, and some of those could have been students, they worked from home. 43% of 25 to 34 year olds, which are less likely to be students and more likely to be people that had you know, regular jobs, 43% were working from home. And 35% of 35 to 44 year olds worked from home and previously did not. And then 26% of 45 to 54 year olds work from home and prior to the pandemic did not. So those are quite large percentages of people that basically were not leaving their home anymore, but were working there. That's remarkable. And that it's important to remember that when we're looking at those stats, these are stats from the rural markets like you talked about. This doesn't include your your big metro uh, areas that, you know, New York and, and some of those that had the really, um, really big stay-at-home orders. Those are all the percentages coming from the rural markets, which uh, in, in my mind makes those numbers even even more surprising uh, that they're that significant. Absolutely. But, you know, I want to dovetail this this second uh, pandemic related question around broadband that makes it even more surprising. You would think that with that huge percentage of people working from home, Andy, that they would have a lot of them would have increased their broadband speed. But that was exactly the opposite. When we asked the question, has your household paid extra to increase your internet speed since the pandemic began, we had 715 respondents and 83% of them said they did not pay to increase their internet speed, while only 17% said they did pay to increase. And I, we do have some assumptions on that. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's go into that a little deeper. Well... You know, I think part of it relates, Andy, to the fact that as as a telecommunications vendor, Innovative Systems really works hard to try and 
touch our customers as much as we can, talk to them, find out what they're going on. You know, if they got some problems that we can help them with our OSS, our voice or video platforms, we, we want to hear what we can do to help them. But in the course of those conversations, what we were finding out is there was a hesitancy by rural service providers to actively promote selling faster internet. And the hesitancy could be in part that they didn't want to prey on everybody's misfortunes due to the pandemic, but we're, we're not quite sure why, but it just, we got this, we got this feeling that a lot of our customers, they just didn't want to go there. And, you know, obviously, you know, that's a, that's a conscious decision sure, that's made, sure. but I think on the other side of the coin, uh, a tactfully uh, crafted message of improving the experience uh, giving your students a, a better opportunity to learn, a, a, a better uh, connection to their office. If, if it's done tastefully, I think that they could have probably done some messaging to get that number of 17% yes increase during the pandemic to a, probably quite a bit of a higher number. And I wonder too, because the question asks specifically if they have paid extra for an upgrade. And I know there were a lot of um, a lot of the providers that offered some kind of free upgrade. You know, some folks were doing it just for teachers. Some folks were doing it um, for different segments. But there were folks that had the free upgrades for a little while too. So I wonder if um, I don't know how that may play into it as well. But that's that's a good point because I know a lot of the folks we talked to. Um, you know, they, they weren't wanting to run big campaigns about upgrade your speed. Um, so as not to seem like, like you talked about being advantageous over something like that or, um, right. And, and to your point, you know, there, there was definitely some, uh, companies that did provide increased speeds at no extra cost, but from what we saw, a lot of those, that was not a perpetual thing. It was a short term thing. And it just makes me kind of wonder, you know, if down the road, as as it seems like where we're at right now in the stream of time, that a lot of the the uh, restrictions, health restrictions, and and things like that are starting to be lifted, and that's another debatable topic. But we're, you know, that's not what we're here right, for. Right. Uh, you know, these people are going to have possibly have a need to continue to have higher speeds, but we just didn't see that they paid for it in the first quarter of 2021. Got it. Now, and that's an interesting point, what you just said there. So that the, that survey was pertaining to whether or not they paid for upgrades between January 1st and March 31st of 2021, or would that question have applied that's, to people? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, that's basically correct. Yes. So there may have been people that upgraded speeds last year, um, you know, when school went back in August or something like that, that would not, um, you know, that would not show up in that 17% number, correct? It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Um, I, I think that, you know, this is one of these questions where the benchmark for, you know, when we get into the, you know, next year, 2022, we should be able to see some good comparative data to maybe make a better decision. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's already a lot of good um, intel that this report has provided um for folks is there anything else i don't want us to run too long here we could certainly talk about um broadband trends and uh, you know we were talking about it before we push the record button and i imagine we'll be talking about it some after we, we stop recording because that's what you and i both do all day 
Um, but is there any other, as we wrap up here, are there any other takeaways or anything else that we, we haven't gotten to yet that you wanted to be sure um, to mention during the podcast? Well, just a couple of things, uh, you know, and again, kind of uh, attaching to some other data that we've already discussed here uh, today, Andy, uh, half of rural customers, according to this study, bundle their internet and their TV. So I think that's something, again, going back to, uh, you know, people's decisions to exit video need to be very carefully well thought out decisions. Have you hired a focus group to come in and survey your customers and talk to them and see how they feel about that and, and, and responsibly weigh the risk of how it might impact your revenue? Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was, and we didn't talk about this much, but and we'll talk about how they can get the complete study here in just a few minutes, but 60% of the respondents that had managed Wi-Fi, and it was a very low number to begin with of that 60%, um, they felt that the service was very valuable to have. So, and that and managed Wi-Fi, you know, everybody that's listening to this knows that that's where the service provider usually has everything inside the home, including the router. They manage the, the experience and definitely does increase the um, value of the service for the customer. And, and very strong feelings from rural America that, that managed Wi-Fi is a valuable service. So this is an opportunity, obviously, for um, rural service providers talking about increasing speeds to generate revenue. A managed Wi-Fi service would also be another opportunity. And then the was, final thing well, to, to, that we saw to unpack that, that one. Sorry, ahead. that was sixty percent said it was very um, valuable. So uh, I guess that would be the highest option. And so there were others that might have thought it was what somewhat valuable or somewhere in there. So yeah, that's that's a pretty um, that's a pretty strong statistic. Yeah, it it really is. And and but those are the ones that have had it and they right. understand it. So uh, there's still a. And I don't, I don't have the number right in front of me, but a very low percentage, I think less than like 25%. And again, I'm, I'm talking off of what I can kind of remember. Sure. Only, a, you know, maybe a fourth of rural America even has a managed Wi-Fi service. Um, but then the final thing that I did want to mention that I thought was really interesting, another pandemic related question, is that 51% of rural Americans are using video conferencing more than they did before the pandemic. And again, that does talk to the fact that, as we all know, when you're using video over the internet, you need more bandwidth. Right. So that goes back and to down. the- yep. Yes, correct. That's right, up and down, very good point. So when you look at that fact that, well, and actually, um, uh, that's a demographic breakdown, 51% 1834, 41%, 35, 54, and 29%, 55+. So over a third of the people 55-plus started using video conferencing. And all I can say about that is we know how live video is affected by the Internet. But for many, especially in that older demographic, that higher price to pay for connecting with their family and friends by Zoom, which is you know what people are primarily using, they're tolerating it now, and as they have grown more comfortable using it, they're going to keep using it even after, if you know, hopefully the pandemic ends, they're still going to use it because they're used to it now, and 
there's another opportunity for service providers to, uh, you know, educate customers on the benefits of faster internet that they may not subscribe to. Excellent. So it, and I think you, you closed on what I think is a really strong point there that it just comes back to customer education. It comes back to, you know, the, the study helps look at, um, you know, what people are needing and wanting, what they're demanding, and then how they're responding to that. And there's room on all the margins all the way around those stats for folks to, uh, you know, folks at the providers to do the education to step up to make them realize that, hey, you started using video conference for the first time. Your upload speed is, is pretty low. Um, we can make it a much better experience if you would upgrade um, to higher package. So a lot of customer education, it sounds like, still still to be done, even if there are some very encouraging trends in there. Exactly. Well, uh, the last thing as we close here, how can folks get more information? Um, uh, you know, if, if they've heard a little bit of this, and I know it's a little tough uh, when we're going through all these numbers, if somebody's listening while they're washing dishes or mowing the grass or driving to work, um, maybe a little tough to catch all those numbers. How can they get more information about uh, the results of the studies that you guys put together? Well, and I'm, I'm sure when you uh, edit this package together, you can probably you, you probably be able to put my email address on the screen. But sure. this is just a sampling. The report is over 60 pages. So we, we didn't even scratch the surface on the data today. It's fascinating data. Uh, we do this for our customers. So anybody, and, and even if you're in the video business or broadband business and, and are a provider, if you're, even if you're not a customer, we welcome you to send me an email to request the report, and we'll send it electronically this year. Uh, my email address is scottm at I-N-N-O-V-S-Y-S dot com. Perfect. And we'll be sure to put that email address. If you are driving or um, mowing the lawn, that, that would be a dangerous time to try to write down an email address. So we'll make sure we'll make sure to go ahead and include that in the show notes for this episode. So well, uh, Scott, thank you once again um, for dropping uh, that knowledge on us here with this uh, with this episode. It's always interesting to see what the studies find, and and thanks again for the work that you guys do and um, making that happen. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for the interview, Andy. He is Scott Meyer, director of marketing with Innovative Systems. I'm Andy Johns with Word South, and until we talk again, keep telling your story. You've been listening to Story Connect, the podcast a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company.